Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everybody? It's Power Rankings Podcast, a.k.a. The Power Rankings Show. I'm your host, Elliot Harrison, and uh, I love opening up with my face looking like I'm lost in space. I never know when that wipe is coming. Uh, But I do know who's going to be on our show today. Uh, One of the people, that's right, one of the people is at Marcus underscore Mosher. Hello, sir. Elliot, how's it going? I'm uh, I'm excited to be here today because we're talking about something that... um, Sometimes I suck at, let's be honest. Uh, so because I know my limitations and I can admit when I'm wrong, <laughs> unlike a certain partner of mine, I like to bring in a guest that does know what he's talking about. So uh, we're going to reveal that guest in just a second. Uh, but uh, you had a fun fact today. I want to get our fun fact out. Yeah. Uh, on this day in 1965, the NFL changed the color of the penalty flags from yellow to from what I guess it would be from white to yellow. Sorry, I've ruined that already. That's all right. You already I wanna, ruined it. I want I want to know why did they change the color of the flags? That's a really good question. Probably because the referees got tired of signaling retreat and that we give up. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I, I actually I figured it out. They 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 did a study that yellow was more easy to identify because so many players were wearing white colored socks and white colored shoes and yellow just stood out more on the field. I'm I'm pretty sure you said that was 65 that yes. that happened. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure that Tech Schramm, Tech Schramm was the um, uh, president of the Cowboys and the Cowboys in the 60s. Clint Murkison was their owner, but he was totally a hands off owner, just like their owner is today. Uh, and <laughs> but not uh, at Tech all. Schramm, yeah, Tech Schramm, one of the most significant people in the history of the league, uh, came up with all these innovations. But one of the innovations I'm pretty sure that he developed was having a thick white sideline it mm-hmm. used to be there were just lines on mm-hmm. you know the sideline was just a line just like the yard line and um you know by making the sideline these big white thick things you could see on tv it made it a lot easier to tell when someone was out of bounds probably helped too that i think it was dickie magel was running for a touchdown in the 50s and a guy literally came off the bench in college and tackled him have you ever seen that play ever from I, the 50s I, I, I have uh because i remember people talking about this uh during the super bowl it's like hey what if what if at the end of the game, somebody's running for a game-winning touchdown? What's the penalty if somebody just comes off the bench and tackles him right. before they can see the end zone? And that play was shown a lot. Well, those players, you know, they used to be right up, you know, near the line sometimes standing around. And, and uh, you know, the benches were pretty small in a lot of the stadiums back then. Of course, now they've got heaters and, you know, Gatorade. And they have, like, you know, hyperbaric chambers on the sideline and exercise well, urinals, bikes. And- Wait for wait for a porta potty on the sideline, though. Yeah, I mean, dude, if you've got a, <laughs> gotta um, go, man. You gotta go. <laughs> you gotta go. Uh, yeah, but with that being said, we've got to go to our guest. Terrible what a transition. <laughs> what a transition. <laughs> but look, it's draft season, and one of my good buddies has been one of the most respected voices, um, uh, both online. He he 
he's guests on shows like this one and um, he's been at it for a really long time. He works for NFL.com, um, but he's been studying the draft. I think before he was ever employed at NFL.com, he's just one of those guys. It's Chad Ryder, everybody from uh, the NFL network and NFL.com. What's up home slice cheese. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here, my man, even though that intro, you know, that segue, I, I'm not sure if that's tied to me, hopefully not. Uh, but anyway, no, it's great to be here. I uh, love seeing you guys. And uh, it's uh, it's wonderful to, it, for it to be draft season. Hey, when you've got to go, you've got to go to Chad Ryder. That's what I always say. That's right. Sorry. The Rotor Rooter. Yeah. And that's that's <laughs> been associated with my name for as long as, you know, I've been alive. Uh, so I know, it's nothing, so nothing new. Nothing new. I think the one we use here is Speed Rooter. They do an okay job. You know, my speed, yeah. uh, by the way, my speed router story of the day, 10 seconds. One time they cleaned out all my my pipes and everything. They had this giant bucket of like dirty sewage water and he carries it out my place and he gets all the way to the front door and then he trips and hits the bucket and it splashes all over my wall. It was oh. terrible. That's that's my speed router story. <laughs> so I think what we're going to get to is a lot better than that. Uh, so I asked yeah, Marcus. Sounds good. And <laughs> And Chad, to kind of come up with uh, what I would call lightning rod uh, draft choices. And I was talking to Marcus on the phone the other night. We actually did some pre-podcast homework. I know that's shocking. We worked. Uh, but well, 15 actual minutes of work the other day. That's wow. right. I wanted to know. I was like, Marcus, if there's like, are there eight guys? Because we are rundown has eight. So it's an easy number to do. Um, are there eight guys that like are just controversial as to where they're going to be drafted or what position they're going to play or something else that makes them a little bit harder for guys like Chad who do mock drafts uh, for NFL.com and do this professionally to do their job? Because, man, you don't know what team they're going to. You don't know where they're going to go. There's all these questions. So I asked Marcus to come up with four and Chad came up with four. And we're going to get into that. Any, anything you guys want to add about players like this or give an example from past drafts? of a guy that might be like the guys you're talking about today, just one guy that was a lightning rod? Well, to me, when you said that, it basically means a wide variance of draft position, of guys ah. that could go, that a lot of lot of people are projecting late first round, but end up going in the third. Well, uh, example from last year, uh, Bernard Raymond, the, the tackle from Central Michigan. A lot of people are putting him in the first round. I valued him as a third-round guy. So in my mock draft, I'm like, okay, maybe the Colts need a left tackle so bad that they're going to be willing to take this guy early in the second round. Well, he went in the third round like he should have. So that's that's kind of the, the guy we're talking about here that can go is seen going in a lot of different places. And uh, for one reason or another, because he's he's got great physical traits, but maybe his film isn't quite there or the opposite. Um, so that's that's what I thought of when we talk about guys that are lightning rods in terms of, you know, they could really go uh, in a wide variance of, of range. And for me, Chad, it was the outliers, right? Like there's this class is full of outliers. And I picked a couple of guys where you might love their tape, but there's something in there, you know, measurables that might scare you away. Uh, we'll get to those guys in a second. Yeah, I, I would just say for me, um, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but just a guy that I thought I was talking to Marcus earlier was actually Davian Clowney. Even though he mm -hmm. went first overall, there were a lot of questions about his productivity wasn't the same as a senior. He was such an athlete. He had a knee problem. And some people are like, yeah, he's easily the best prospect in the draft. And other people seem like 
stay away, you know? And so uh, that's an interesting one uh, to me, but let's get started here. I believe we're going with you first, right, Chad? That's right. Uh, I've got Jalen Hyatt, receiver out of Tennessee, who, look, he's got speed. Um, he, he He's made some big plays. I mean, the Volunteers offense, I'm going to say it ran through him, but he was a major part of the success they had, uh, certainly before Hendon Hooker got uh, injured this year. And his ability to stretch the field and make some plays after the catch, getting those quick screens, a lot of teams have them on the radar probably in the first round. Um, but there are some questions. I mean, I've heard him compared to Chris Olave, which I think is really reaching. But I think for in the right offense – um, he's going to be able to, like the Chiefs, you know, is just a great feat for a, a team like the Chiefs that really need that downfield threat. A guy you can start in the slot and 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 push him outside. And the slot fade is so big right now. Um, so, but the, you know, again, other questions like was the Tennessee's offense the reason that he was so successful? Um, you know, he ran in the mid four fours, which is fine, but he's he's under 180 pounds, so is that too slight? Um, so there's all, all kinds of questions about him but I think he can become a big playmaker. My question for you, Chad, is I, I think he's more of a downfield vertical threat that I worry about some of the other parts of his game, but how valuable mm-hmm. is that guy even in today's NFL? Because it seems like to me the NFL is transitioning more to the guys that can win quickly underneath and you get them the ball and they make plays after the catch. I'm, I'm just not sure that's Hyatt's game. Yeah, he did that quite a bit. He he got some quick screens at, at Tennessee, but um, you know, in that offense, it was so vertical. Josh Heupel's offense is so vertical that they didn't throw quite as many of those screens as you see in a lot of other offenses. Um, now, will he will he be able to avoid uh, defenders in the NFL as easily as he did in college? That's a question um, because he is more of a strider. He's not it, some, he's not one of these five ten quick receivers, uh, two way receivers that you see in the slot a lot. But I think he's I think he's got enough of that quickness as well as the striding speed that I think somebody will take him in the first round. That That's my uh, feeling. But, you know, the, the opinions are all over the board on him. And that's why I included him on this list. Uh, would it be shocking to me if he fell in the mid second round? No, absolutely not, because I think some people have that opinion of him. So it'll be really interesting to see. He's going to be a really specific fit for a team. Um, but I think he's got a little more after the catch ability than, than people think. He's not elite in that category, um, like a Zay Flowers or somebody like that. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how he fits uh, with, with certain teams. You know, I, you mentioned Tennessee, big play, vertical player. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go way back here on you guys. Alvin Harper came out of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. He was a great high jumper. And back then, you had a lot of 5'10 guys that could fly in the NFL. The Oilers yeah. ran a run and shoot with a bunch of Smurfs. and. Yeah. Dallas was one of the first teams to go get a big guy like Alvin Harper, who I think Alvin Harper was 6'3", well over 200 pounds, and could jump out of the stadium. But a lot of teams didn't have players like that, so I don't think every team was looking to get Alvin Harper high. Uh, The Cowboys did. They had him for four years, and he was a big play guy, but he never turned into that number one, 1,100 yards, eight touchdown kind of guy. He was always a compliment player. So just a guy I thought of. A little different, though. This guy's a 5'10 flyer a little bit. Uh, Alvin Harper was a big dude that could jump. Uh, Let's go to yours, Marcus. Yeah, and Elliot, I actually want to ask you about this next player because I think you you have a good idea in this one. It's Brian Branch, a safety from Alabama, who played a little bit of slot corner, Mm. you know, there with the Crimson Tide. But uh, my question is, 
He's a 190-pound safety. And if you know anything about the history of the position at safeties, most teams just cross off safeties that are sub 200 pounds because that's basically cornerback size. And he ran a 4.5840, which it's not slow for a safety, but certainly not fast either. How high do you draft a, a safety who has awesome tape that doesn't run fast and isn't big, especially with the way the safety market is now in the NFL? Yeah, I don't know how you take a guy like this in the first round. Now, I'm I'm a big believer in tape. To me, this sounds like a third round, a guy that would, would hang that low. But I don't know exactly how he compares to the other safeties. I mean, if his tape is a lot better. I mean, I'll give you an example. Honey Badger uh, played a lot of slot corner uh, for the Cardinals. I mean, he was a safety, but Honey Badger was faster than a 4.58. So uh, you have a guy like that. Now, I can tell you that it used to be that ball skills were highly, highly valued in the NFL. Okay, you and I have talked about Everson Walls, your dad's favorite player before. Mm-hmm. Everson Walls ran a 4.7. Mm-hmm. In 1981, 4.7 was slow, guys, for a corner. Okay, it's, it, w- it wasn't yeah. that much difference. Okay, there were plenty of corners in the NFL who could run 4.4s four and 4.5s. Um, the, the thing with Everson Walls, though, is he had incredible ball skills. But with teams playing less man coverage than ever before, Back in the 80s, you played a lot of man, so ball schools skills were at a premium. When you're playing zone, you're, you're hoping for tip balls. You're hoping for balls that go off the receiver's hand. So I don't know, Marcus, that you could draft this guy that, that high. That's That would be my answer. Chad, what do you think? Yeah, I think he's probably um, an early second-round pick, early to mid-second round. That's my guess as of now because of the average athleticism. But the thing is, it, it, it was clear all season, and actually last two years, definitely last year, that he was the best player on the Alabama defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I mean, other than Will Anderson, you could kind of set him aside. But at times, he was more impactful um, than Anderson was. And because he wasn't facing some of the doubles and, and things like that. So I think he does a little bit of everything. So he's a guy that fits perfectly in this conversation because would I be shocked if Jacksonville picked him at 24? Absolutely not. I would not because he does a little bit of everything. But I think he's more likely to go in the early part of the second round where you've seen guys like Landon Collins and Xavier McKinney and some of these type of guys go you know, early in the second round because they don't have some of the elite traits. But he does everything. I mean, I really like him as a player. I think he will be a very good player. Um, the 190 doesn't bother me that much because he plays much bigger than that. Um, so I, I'm not worried about that as much. I think he he and, and if anything, I, I think he's got to be able to move uh, to his most efficiently. So if that's the weight that he does it, great. Um, he, he's a tough guy. So that's I think he's in that second round conversation. But again, when you look at film, sometimes some of these guys get picked a little bit higher um, than we than the 40 time might indicate. All right, Chad, so where's Isaiah Foskey going? That's the next guy on your list. Boy, he could go any – I mean, I've seen, again, is another one of these guys that you like his production, you know, two years ago. Um, very strong power rusher that a lot of teams like because he can, you know, stand his ground. And when he gets an open lane to the quarterback, he can take uh, advantage of it. He's got great length. Not the biggest in terms of weight. Um, he's kind of a – he might be sort of in between linebacker and, and four three end. Might be in that tweener category for some teams. So some teams may not value him as much. Um, and not maybe the – he's a little stiff in terms of his – he's not the bendiest – 
um, defensive end ever. But again, he's got power, he's got length, and I think some teams will value that more than others. So I think he ends up, he could end up being a top 50 pick, but he could also fall into the early third round. Some of these guys fall into that area of the draft because they're not quite bendy, they're not quite Mm -hmm. this or that. Um, So I think he's got a wide variance of places where he could go. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think he's going to end up in the second round just because you don't find guys very often that are 6'5", 265, and running the four fives. In fact, he reminds me a lot of a guy that we saw last year going in the second round, Sam Williams, who was drafted by the Cowboys, Mm -hmm. who had very similar numbers. So I, I agree with you. I think the talk of him going in the first round is too much, but second round is usually when you gamble on traits. And I think his his traits are off the charts. Yeah. I mean, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I would say he he's, he's, you know, Sam Williams is a good example. Uh, But I think he, he's one of these guys. And you know, this happens every year where a lot of people think these pass rushers are going to go earlier, but he could go early third real easy. I think. And people maybe don't understand that. Um, and like Tim Williams from Alabama is a great example Went third round. Um, and, and once or one or two of these addressers will probably go late and he's a candidate for that, but you know, the Rams and some of the other teams picking in the top 50 of that early second round, they need edges so bad that he may end up going there. Uh, Marcus is Cansey uh, a tweener like Foskey is your number five. I mean, maybe I, Listen, if you haven't if you haven't studied the draft at all, I'm gonna just tell you the profile. You tell me the first name that you think of. Defensive tackle from Pittsburgh, six foot, two hundred and eighty one pounds, ran a four six seven forty yard dash, uh, and had thirty four and a half tackles for a loss in his career. Does that remind it. you, Elliot? Who does it remind you of? Karen Fonald. There you go. <laughs> it's rhymes with that. Yeah. Right. It's just at what point is it too small to be a defensive tackle? Because even Aaron Donald was heavier, had longer arms, and was a little bit taller than Kalijah Kansi, but the production is off the charts. Can you bet on him being an outlier like Aaron Donald inside the top 15, 20 picks? I don't know. Yeah, he's a tough one uh, because, look, I've been watching him the last couple of years, and every time I turn him on, I say, he's not Aaron Donald. He's not Aaron Donald. He's not Aaron Donald. He just keep repeating that to yourself, but then he just keeps making plays. He keeps making plays. You think you can just shove him aside in the run game, but he plays with leverage because he's got that low center of gravity. I don't want him facing double teams all the time, but I think he he's a guy that plays a little stronger than you'd get. So yeah, I agree. He's a guy. Is he a top 20? I think he's going to be a top 20 pick. I think later in the top 20, like Detroit, uh, maybe somebody moves into that late part of the first, you know, in that top 20 to get him. Um, the jets at 13 are actually, uh, an interesting place for him too, because they Sheldon Richardson, very mm-hmm. similar. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan Allen is actually a really good comp for him. And he went 17, I think to, to Washington. So right in that area of the draft, I think somebody is going to get a really good player. If you line him up in a gap and let him shoot great. So, but yeah, it's not going to be for every team uh, at 280 pounds. I just say this, if you can knife through, uh, if you can play 30 to 40 good quality snaps and if you know leverage and you know how to use your body, you bet you can play uh, at, a, at a high level in the NFL. Uh, Aaron Donald is not big, you know, and if we want to go back, I reached into Alvin Harper. Well, Mark Stepnoski was a great center and he played at like 260 something because he knew leverage. Well, and so, yeah, you could John Randall, John, say, John Randall, Randall. Yes. example. Yep. 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 Yes. Per- perfect guy. I wanted to go on both sides of the line there just to show that you can play. Yep on the line, but you've got to know leverage. Uh, interesting name on the list is number four. This is one of yours, Chad. 
yeah, so I can't read it, but that's Mazzie okay. Smith. Oh, Mazzie Smith. So, so Mazzie <laughs> Smith is, uh, yeah, uh, well, my setup is not wonderful. But anyway, uh, so. He's, he's using a BlackBerry, everybody, to yeah. do the podcast. Yeah. So, okay. So, no, Marcus, I know you'll know this. And I'm pretty sure what this is. Over three years with Michigan, Mozzie has six tackles for loss and a half a sack. I believe those are the numbers. Okay. So that lack of production is makes it really difficult for him to project as a first round guy, because look, I'm the first one to say it's not all about statistics, right? I mean, it's just not depending on what you're asked to do in that defense, et cetera. But if you're not getting at least a couple of sacks a year, when a quarterback is holding onto the ball too long, that's really tough. It's really tough to pick a guy in the first round with that lack of production for some. Mm-hmm. Now, he's also an excellent athlete, right? Not that we've seen him do all the drills because he hasn't done all the drills this offseason. He's done some great jumps that are really good for a guy who's 325 pounds or so. But in his film, he flashes. His film, he flashes an ability to get in the backfield. Can he stop and make the play? That's less uncertain. So I think he's a guy that's getting a lot of first round talk, but it wouldn't shock me if he, again, he ends up in that mid to late second round as a guy who you're not going to be able to get a lot of pass rush out of, but he's really strong at the point of attack. He can affect plays um, at times. So it'll be really, I'll be, I'll be very interested to see where he ends up going. The reason why the lack of production doesn't bother me too much is that just really wasn't his role, right? He was not, he was not a a minute. Wait a minute. This is Marcus Mosier telling me that the production doesn't affect him. Wait, what? What? His role was just different than most other of these, you know, penetrating defense tackles. That's just not what they asked uh-huh. him to do. Uh-huh. But I will yeah. say that we did see somebody similar to this come out in the draft just a few years ago. Deron Payne yeah. for the, for Alabama had yeah. five career tackles for a loss and three sacks yep. in three seasons. And I kind of project his role as the same thing. So while it does scare me a little bit, I'm not worried about taking him like at the end of the first round, top of the second. Mm-hmm. Guys, if it doesn't work out, he can always get a job at Penetrode. Uh, yeah. Sorry, bad office space joke. Let's go to uh, number three, Quentin Johnson. This Johnston, excuse me. This is one of Marcus's. I, I, I need your help, Chad, on this one because this one is terrifying to me. Quentin Johnson is maybe the most gifted receiver in this class, 6'2", 210 pounds. You can put on the tape and see him making plays down the field. He's spectacular after the catch, but ran a really poor three cone. Uh, It was fourth percentile three cone. His drop rate was number one in the country among all qualifying receivers. He really struggled with some of the concentration stuff. I don't love the route tree that they have at TCU. Where do you draft a receiver like this? Um. So in my first four round mock, I had him going in the second round and a lot, I got a lot of questions from people. Why don't you put him in the first round for the reasons that you exactly say his hands are not great. Um, He's very limited in what he can do. I mean, he can make, look, he can make plays after the catch and similar to Christian Watson um, coming out last year, who was an early second round pick, but Christian Watson was a four, three guy. And Quentin Johnson is not that. He's a four-five guy. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe. So I mean, four-five-five five guy, I should yep. say, probably. Yeah. Um, and so, look, he needs time to get up to speed. Now, his body control is excellent. 
Um, he can make all kinds of amazing catches on the sideline, and somebody you know will value that. I don't think he's a first-round guy. A lot of people project him as a first-round guy. To me, he's like a Denzel Mims um, coming out Perfect. a couple of years ago yes. who was a great, even better athlete than Johnson. So um, I agree that he he's really a guy that could go anywhere from you know 22 to 60, just depending on how teams feel about his upside um, as a playmaker rather than just being a really you know good number two guy. When you guys start talking, I mean, I'm I'm down with 40 time and strength and productivity, but I got to be honest with you. When you start getting into oh man, guys, I'm really concerned about his three cone. Wow, three cone. I, it's a little Dungeons and Dragonsy. I get it. It, it is. Yes, I mean, it you is. really remind me of a kid like in 1982 going, "Your cleric just doesn't have enough spells, bro." You know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> He's got right. plus three armor though. But you know what? It's the thing is, but That's the thing amazing. is. The three cone is as, if not more important for a lot of these players than a four right. because it's All really right. giving you short, short term, short area agility. Um, but unfortunately, part of the draft process now, Elliot, honestly, like most of the players aren't even doing it anymore, which is really disappointing because because you don't get that that data in. Um, they're choosing not to do it. Look at the tape. Look at the tape. Well, guess what? You don't see that as much on the tape as you would like. So nerdy but it's valuable when you get it in my i get it Le- leaving it out kind of stinks it would be like watching the gi joe cartoon and they left out the part where they say and knowing is half the battle exactly. i mean you just can't have exactly. the cartoon without that all right <laughs> so chad your last one here uh dewan jones why is he on here um because and actually elliot i forgot to mention this i was going to include johnston on my list but i only want oh. to include one receiver so i'm in the same boat wow. as you about this guy, uh, Duan Jones. So he is a huge human being, uh, 6'8", plus 375 pounds when he's on a diet. Jeez. And it's super long, and he's got yardsticks for arms, okay? This guy is just a massive human, right? He's a better athlete than Orlando Brown. And and um, that was an interesting thing for me at the combine. I wanted to see how good of an athlete this guy really is. He was a former basketball player, so he's not super heavy-footed. But the fact is, at that size, he's just not super nimble. He just he just isn't. But a lot of teams um, are okay with that and, and are okay with just having him being big enough, the ball comes out of the pocket quickly enough, and they say, we get the ball out of the pocket. He can start for us because he's simply too big to get around. And so he's one of these guys, again, Isaiah Wilson went late in the first round. Um, if Orlando Brown hadn't been so bad in the combine, he might have went in the top 30 to 40 picks. But again, he went in the third round. So jo- Jones is in that category. Like, he's stiff. Um, he's not going to be able to adjust people in space. But he's just one of these guys that is just big enough. So where do you take a guy like that? You know, mid-second round into early fourth round. That's, that's the variance this guy has. Um, and, and so it's going to be really interesting to see. It's just going to be one team's going to be like the Kansas City Chiefs. They took Orlando round, put him at left tackle, and they're fine with it because, you know, Mahomes can get the ball out and run. So really interesting prospect. I would be terrified of drafting this guy, Chad, for a, a, a ton of different reasons. But the biggest one for me is, he went to the senior bowl at 360 pounds and everybody yeah. said he needed to lose weight, right? Lose weight, get down to 340, be a little bit more athletic in a month's time. 
from the senior bowl to the combine, he gained 14 pounds. Yeah. How can I trust this player after I give him a bunch of money that he's going to be able to keep his weight, you know, under 360 pounds. There's just no way that I could draft this guy high and trust him at all. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask him to lose weight, to be honest. I think he plays at 370. He played at 370 in Ohio state. And he was very effective. It's just too hard when you get to be that size. Like if you have any kind of injury to overcome it, like we've seen it with Makai Becton, right? Makai Becton got too big. Once he got hurt, he wasn't, wasn't able to get back on the field at all. That's what would scare me. Yeah, no, I agree. I, he's that's why I wouldn't I wouldn't have picked Isaiah Wilson in the first round either. But um, you know, that's why I think teams can't use that high of a pick. I but I think it'll be interesting come late second round. Let's just say the Dallas Cowboys want a versatile tackle at at their pick. Is that too soon? You guys say yes, it's too soon, but we'll see, won't we? We'll see if, if them or Kansas City, you know, pick them at the end of round two. But again, he's one of these guys that, like you said, he's so big that round four is possible. Darian Kennard came out last year out of yep. Kentucky. Sixth right? round. You know, fifth round, I think. Fifth round, I think. But, but uh, you know, so it could be that situation. So he could really go anyway. That's why, you know, that's why he's a perfect guy to talk about today. Um, just just because you don't you don't really – all it takes is one team to love him, love him enough to take him early in the third or late in the second. I want to take you guys back a little bit. Chad, you may have been covering the draft at this point. Um, Marcus, I think you were, you know, drinking out of plastic cups at like, you know, parties at this point. But the Ravens, the year they got Michael Orr on the other side, who was obviously very famous, the blind side, so on, Sandra Bellocchier. But on the other side, they had a guy named Jared Gaither, who was Mm -hmm. 6'8 and change, I think. And he, he was, and I'm putting this in quotes, 350. I don't yeah, know if yeah, this no guy chance. would be a similar comp there, uh, but it's that's the guy that I thought of. And I, to be honest, I could not remember his name. I was like, the Ravens had a guy like this, and it wasn't yeah. Michael Orr. And I was trying to think. He was the tallest player in the league. Uh, he, right. was, he was huge. 6'9", um, yeah. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah, he's he's very similar to him. Aaron Gibson came out, you know, 20 years ago out of Wisconsin. Very similar guy. He had to shift into guard eventually. Um, but I think, honestly, I think Jones is a better athlete than either of those two guys. Uh, yeah. And uh, he's lighter on his feet. But, yeah, guys like that sometimes pop up in the NFL, and they, you know, they either make it uh, or they're Jordan Mailata. Look, look, Jordan Mailata is not significantly different in size, and he's been great for the, the Eagles at, at left tackle. But again, he was a better athlete coming out of a rugby player and all that stuff. So he's, he's, you know, he, his issue was just lack of experience. Yeah, um, but, but yeah. so it's, 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 it's an interesting case study. Jonathan Ogden was a huge man, six, seven, yeah. and just absolutely massive human yeah. being, but he was a fantastic on his feet and oh, extremely he's... adept with his hands. He'd give you That's a little right. jab uh, right in the ribs if you uh, rushed him and then laugh about it, which just That's made right. everybody furious. All right, our number one guy, Marcus, it's your guy. Who we got? Yeah, Jalen Carter, who I think you can make a case is the best player in this draft, and I think he's the best defensive tackle prospect that we've had maybe in the last 10 years. Uh, but So what's so, the problem? <laughs> everything else, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, we could talk about the outfield stuff. He went to the, the pro day, did a couple reps and looked awful. He was already at a win. He was already at, like, couldn't just couldn't complete the pro day stuff. And then now he's telling teams he's not taking any interviews with teams drafting outside the top 10, which is always a little scary. So, Chad, I I just want to know from you, like, at what point would you feel comfortable drafting Jalen Carter? 
Oh, I think if you're anywhere between seven and 10, I think, I think you go with him. Um, I think he's a guy that is just too talented to let fall much further than that. Now, look, this guy was having fun with his friends, doing something stupid, racing cars, right? I've done it. Not to the extent that they've doing it, but I've done it. And somebody who was part of that conversation, a couple of people who were part of that died. Now, I can't imagine what it feels like to be in that situation, but I'll tell you that preparing for a pro day would be very difficult. Um, and so putting myself in his shoes in that place, I'm not going to make it hurt as much as, as for maybe some other people. However, however, teams really have to do their homework on this guy and, and really have to say, are you going to put in the work to be the professional that you need to be even in times that are very difficult? And he's got to answer those questions. So, um, but I think once he is through that, now the legal process is over for that. So he can kind of move on as much as he can with, with the, the memory still holding um, that I think a team is going to be able to say, look, at seven, eight, nine, ten, we'll we'll give this guy a shot, and we think he can be a really special player. I'd like to ask Marcus something here on this. Um, you know, if I'm a GM and I'm looking at this player, and my personnel director is saying, "Hey, I think this is who we, you know, we need to go with." This guy is an elite talent. He's a top ten talent. He might even be top seven. You know, whatever. Uh, which there is a difference. We all know when you're in the top say 12 picks, there's a difference between eight and 10, you know, it's, it's just different yeah. than 24 and 26. Right. So right. what I would say is a, if we have questions about anybody's work ethic whatsoever, we're not spending a top 10 pick. It's just too doggone valuable. However, in an extenuating circumstance, and this is my question for you, Marcus, what were, were there any questions about this player's work ethic before all of this? No, I don't think the work ethic was an issue. I think there was some people that worried about the maturity, and there's been some okay. reports that maybe he wasn't the most well-liked person in the locker room, but you throw on the tape, and, and he plays hard all the time. Yeah. So I, 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 that part of it I wouldn't worry about too much. I do think if you can get him into a team that's kind of stable, that has a good coaching yeah. staff, that can kind of help him grow up a little bit, I think I think you'll be fine. But, I mean, I like – for example, the Texans drafted number two. I, I I don't know if that's a best scenario or best team for him to land on. If they pass up Bryce Young uh, to take him, that's their own problem. Yep. I mean, honestly, that's yeah. uh, like if, or what about the Raiders at seven? Like, do you really want him going with that team and out in Las Vegas? Because my answer would be no. No, no. That's it. Is a tough one. It is a tough one. I think I think Detroit. Um, I think Dan Campbell's got a really good situation going on there. So I think that would be a great fit for him. Seattle. Um, Seattle's fine. Yep. Um, Atlanta. Uh, it's interesting with Atlanta because I think they could use him, but I'll be interested if they want him that close to home or not. I agree. Um, so that's, that's tough, but they may do it anyway. Cause he's so talented. Um, and the dream uh, landing you know, spot would be Philadelphia, right at number ten. You pair right. him with the, with Jordan Davis, who you drafted last year. They've got, yeah, you know, they've got a, they've already got a great defensive line. Like they can help him grow up a little bit. Yeah, and I think I think with Philadelphia, though, if my guess is that if he's still on the board at that time, he, they're going to be fielding calls from like the Jets, know. and they're going to trade out. 
That would be my guess. And and he would go somewhere like the Jets, which you would think New York isn't that great for him. But honestly, um, getting him away from home might be the best thing, regardless of where it is. So, um, and I think Robert Sala anyway. would help him there. I think that yeah. actually is a good fit, in my opinion, as well. Yeah. So I, I think I think there are places for him that he could succeed. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of talent, he is the best since um, – and Dominican Sue, maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, think that, so. You know, I mean, yeah. that's kind of where we're looking at. Um, and of course, Aaron Donald's in the conversation, but he went 13th, so people didn't expect him to be what he is. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's he's a special talent that um, has a chance. One guy that's interesting that you guys may remember is Nick Fairley out of mm, Auburn, mm-hmm. and yeah. he was explosive in that final year at Auburn, right? And he went 13th. So I'll be interested to see how much this character stuff and all, you know, all these other things to affect. Now, Fairley was pretty lean for his side. He wasn't the strongest guy. So it's not, I'm not making like a comp here, but that's the one, if this was to happen, we've seen it, something similar happen in the past uh, where a guy, everybody thought was, you know, really top five guy went down. Um, And the other thing is the quarterbacks going early that might shift things down a little bit uh, where some of these guys, might go a little bit later than, than what we thought. We had a defensive tackle go 13th last year to Philadelphia. So I don't know if you had him ranked higher. Um, you know, Jordan, defensive yeah. Tack- yeah. Yeah. I would definitely rate him higher than Jordan Davis. Yeah. Okay. Sure. You know, just two quick thoughts uh, bouncing off of you guys. Uh, one, it's interesting hearing you guys talk about, uh, historically speaking, uh, about I uh, don't want to take a player too close to home. Maybe they're going to get in trouble or whatever. It used to be a team like Atlanta that was trying to drum up interest would want to maybe take a guy that went to Georgia because you didn't have right. so much coverage of the game. And so people knew their regional right. teams, you know, but they didn't know who Purdue's defensive tackle was. I'm just picking a random right. college, but did they know Georgia and Auburn? You bet, you know, so yeah. there's yeah. that. Um but I think overall, guys, when I hear y'all talk, just like if I'm the voice of a fan here or a wannabe GM, it's one thing to me to overlook someone's measurables because the tape is really good. I'm on that side yeah. of the fence, okay? Mm-hmm. But when you have issues of maturity or work ethic or something like that, I find that harder to overlook because the tape is good, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah, but here's the thing. Here's the thing with that. We've seen teams, very successful teams, take chances on those guys and win big time. Sure. Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs are the best at this. That there might be, whether it's a measurable or not a measurable, they pick guys a little bit later than you think, and you're like, how is he still available? And, And teams, and this is where I just was talking to somebody about this. There can be too much information. Teams can have too much information at their hands and they get away from who's really good football players and who fits our system. And uh, the Chiefs are a good example. The Ravens are a good example. The Steelers have done it forever. The Seahawks can get away with it at times, like uh, DK Metcalf and Mother, and then other times they do it with Malik McDowell and it falls flat on their face. So it's definitely a risk-reward situation. But, um, you know, I, I think we've seen it that, that it's just a matter of how high you pick the guy. And uh, sometimes these te- these playoff teams get these really good players because the teams that aren't as successful pass on them because of things like this. Or your organizational culture. If you feel like you can yeah. really bring that player in and foster an environment 
sometimes players drop into, you know, teams laps like the Cleveland Browns got a really quality wide receiver last year uh, because the Cowboys didn't want to pay him. Sorry. I was just picking at Marcus. Fine. Speaking of picking Marcus, why don't you pick us a football card? Why don't right. we let Chad in on our dumb football card so, nerddom? We're going 1995 Fleer Ultra set. Okay. All right. Okay, so it's oh, you be gotta, a Jaguar. You gotta be joking. Me. This is in. this is so funny, Elliot. You ready? Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. Wait a minute. That's not who I think it is. It is. is. Is that Darnay Scott? It is Darnay Scott. Oh my ah. gosh. Wow. Do you remember Darnay Scott, Chad? Uh, yeah, great, great receiver, great receiver, uh, returner, did a little bit of everything. Yeah, really, really fine player. Don't worry, I don't expect his draft profile. Uh, okay, so Darnay Scott, I'm gonna guess the numbers for 94. Can I guess here? That's sure. a cool uh, background. Yeah, actually. I, got I like the old, he's wearing the old Bengals gear because in 94, a lot of teams did their throwback. It was a 75th yeah, anniversary. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go 42 catches for 725 yards and five touchdowns. So you're really close. That's actually a fantastic guess. 46 catches for 866 yards and five touchdowns. So you nailed the touchdowns. He had a monster game against the Cowboys that year. Uh, Dallas was two-time defending champs. They go into Cincinnati, the worst team in the league, okay? The worst team in the league. And Cincinnati took him to overtime with this guy making, I believe, his first start, a guy named Jeff Blake at quarterback. I'm going to say that was Jeff Blake era, yeah. Yeah, it was Jeff Blake debut, I'm pretty sure. Mm. And uh, But interestingly enough, one of the big Dallas touchdowns, Alvin Harper out jumping two defenders at the goal line to bring this full circle, uh, vertical, all vertical, that guy. Anyway, uh, that's always cool. Chad, I love it when you come on. Go I'm so happy that the Cowboys aren't any good anymore. It just makes me so oh, happy. Chad. And then to talk to you guys about <laughs> it, just the memories of the Packers losing to the Cowboys in the mid-90s all the time just made me so sad. Now, now it just made me happy thinking about how that's been like 25 years ago already. That's so great. It's not my fault. I mean, Darnay Scott and Jeff Blake, literally that was their arrival game against the Cowboys. And uh, it was a big deal at the time because they darn near knocked them off, you know? Um, so I tried to I <laughs> Thank tried you guys to for having me on it. I'm sorry. I, I just had to get that in, but I, he's I really peacing out, Marcus. He's like, I don't, don't want to hear your Chad's crap. first and last appearance on the Power Ranking Show. This yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, dude. Seriously, man. Uh, we love having you on. Uh, by the way, you can follow Chad. It's at Chad underscore writer R E U T E R. You're one of those underscore guys. It always makes it difficult for me. Sorry, I had to look man. it up and make sure I had it right. He writes for NFL.com. Uh, can you go to NFL.com slash writer? Does that pull up your writer archive? Uh, it might be I did there. slash author slash Chad writer or something like that. That's I, too complicated. I, can't remember. Just, just I don't look up my own articles very much. Just like yeah, Google Chad, Chad writer draft. Slop. You'll yeah. you'll find all the stuff like people yelling at me and then, you know, people. I get it, man. The articles. It's, it's pretty easy. I never wanted to read my own slop. Oh, we're getting the music. We're getting the hook. Uh, Marcus is at Marcus underscore Mosher. He covers the Cowboys locked up the Cowboys with Landon McCool. He also covers the Raiders on USA Today, Raider Wire. He writes for PFF.com. I am at Harrison NFL. We thank Chad. We thank Marcus, as usual, and the good people at Brinks. Thank you, guys. We will talk to you guys later. Take care, everybody.